and hearts to respond. In Jesus' mighty name, if church, if you agree, say amen. 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 All right. Praise the Lord. Can't wait for this. John chapter 21, loved ones. John chapter 21. We're going through by God's grace. Verses 1 to 14. If you do not have a copy of God's word, raise up your hand right now. And our ushers are coming forward to put a Bible in your hand. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then make sure that you keep that as a free gift as our way of encouraging you to continue to study God's word at home. All right, John 21, 1 to 14. And again, I know Victoria said it right off the top. I want to say it again. Happy Mother's Day to all of the women in our church. We are so thankful for you. We are praying for you and you are loved very much. Glad to be able to be here with you this weekend. Well, here we are. Church family, we are on the home stretch. Everybody say home stretch. It's the home stretch as we close out the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 21, and does John ever close it out with an exclamation mark? He's pedaled to the metal all the way to the end. And here, John 21, this is called the epilogue of the book. If you remember from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, that was the prologue. Now, John 21 is the epilogue. Now, you might say, that's a big word. What's an epilogue? An epilogue is used in a book to tie up the loose ends. There's still some remaining questions that need answering. Like, here's one. So what's going to happen to Peter? That whole denial thing? He's still wrestling with that. What's going to happen to him? Here's another one. How is Jesus... Now that he's risen again, now he's going to go be with the Father. How is he going to still provide for his disciples? How is he going to still build all of these questions and so much more are about to get answered over the next three weeks? This is like one sermon stretched out over three weeks. I was going to try to do it all today, but, you know, I thought that might be a little much. That's that's a joke. You're like, he was serious. No, it's a joke. He's a joke. Don't, don't, Don't worry. But... Out of all the questions that are going on in John 21, there is one that permeates and saturates every part of the chapter. But here's the thing. It is the same question that all of the book, the first 20 chapters that we've gone through, verse by verse, line by line, all of the book has been moving towards this question. The answer to this is imperative. And today, make no mistake, loved ones, whether you're here and you're a true follower of Jesus Christ or not, here's the reality for us. This is the most important question that permeates every part of our lives in every day, in every situation. And our response to this question is not just dealing with temporary consequences in this life but ultimately eternal ones. There is much at stake in our response to it every day. And here's the question. Ready? Write this down. All John's moving towards this. Decision time. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow? That means, will you believe in? The word follow here in the chapter means to cling or submit to Jesus. To obey Jesus through his word. To ultimately lay down your life for him. 
Will you follow Jesus in the trial? When the pandemic hits, will you follow Jesus there? Or will you follow your flesh? Will you follow Jesus when there's wars and rumors of wars? Will you follow Jesus when there is so much division in society? Will you follow Jesus when your life is uprooted? Will you follow Jesus in the confusion? Will you follow him when you doubt? Here's one. Will you follow him in the disappointment? Will you follow him when your preferences aren't being met? Will you follow him when the temptation of your flesh is so strong to reject him, to sin against him? Will you follow him when you're weary? How about this? When it costs you, when the opposition comes, will you follow Jesus? See, I think just even from those few brief examples, it highlights the problem that you and I face every single day, doesn't it? And the problem is this. We often don't follow Jesus. Oh, we may claim to follow him with our lips. We're good at that, aren't we? I follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But quite often our lives don't show it. Let's just be honest. This is where the healing work begins, where the restoring work comes in by getting honest before the Lord. I've been paying lip service. We're often, instead of following Jesus, we're, we're often distracted. Anyone fighting some distractions these days? Anybody? Maybe just me. I don't, okay, good. Yeah, a few hands. Great. Okay, we're all distracted. That's good. So here, here's the thing, though. We're fighting these distractions. We're often, here, here's the thing. Instead of following Jesus, we're often living in fear. Fear of man. Fear of outcomes. What could happen here? What could this be? Or afraid of men. You, know, you can't fear man and follow Jesus faithfully. You just can't do it. The fear of man is a snare. Proverbs 29 says. How about this? Instead of following Jesus, we often live with selfishness. I want, I want my way. We want our comfort. We, let's be honest, instead of following Jesus, we often value our reputation more than his. How can I look good? How can my status be improved? Instead of following Jesus, we often will follow the world's priorities. And and goes on and on and on. And what's the result of this, loved ones? The result is the same. The rejection of Christ and our unfaithfulness in our walk with him and the hindrance of seeing his kingdom advance in and through us for his glory. You see how much is at stake? How we answer that question? Will you follow Jesus? Such a timely word for our day. And you may say this. You may say, well, well, how? What does it mean to truly follow Jesus? We saw stats last week where 50% of Canadians say they follow Jesus. Is that true? It would be a Christian nation if it were. So what does it mean to truly follow Jesus? Welcome to John 21. 
And what we see here, right, that I pray, I've been praying for you all week, that it would be so clear that there would be no doubt in our minds of what Jesus says every true follower of his, their life will look like increasingly. And it all starts with this, ready? Surrender. Surrender. Here's the big idea for our text today we're going to dive into. To follow Jesus faithfully, you must surrender to him increasingly. I'll say it again. To follow Jesus faithfully, write it down, you must surrender to him increasingly. And here in our text today, loved ones, we see three marks, three marks of the life that is surrendered to Jesus and follows him faithfully and sees his power and glory displayed at all times and all things. I'm praying for a life-changing end to this book. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. John chapter 21. We're going to stand and read verses 1 to 14 together. Kids, get your Bibles open. Here we go. John 21, 1 to 14. Nice and loud. Let's go. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Hear the word of the Lord, and all God's people said... Amen. All right, you may be seated. What an incredible start to this chapter. Here we go. First section, a life surrendered to Jesus. First thing we see is this. It depends on him 
in humility. A life surrendered to Jesus depends on him in humility. And the question that comes out of these first six verses so clearly is this. You can't follow Jesus on your own strength. I'm going to say that again because there's some people in this room right now that are trying to earn their way to Jesus. And there are other people in this room right now who are trying to live for Jesus on their own strength. And I want this to minister to you both as it has to my heart. It is impossible to follow Jesus on our own strength. But here's the question. Who are you depending on? Who are you depending on right now? Let's get our context. Here we are. The Passover festival is now finished. Recall, Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected, and now has been appearing to his disciples. This is the third post-resurrection appearances. You say, "Uh uh-uh, it's the fourth. No, 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 notice the text. He's talking about the third for the group of disciples. Yes, he appeared to Mary outside the tomb individually. He's talking about the third appearance for the group of the disciples. This is the third time. You saw that in John 14. Now, why is Jesus making these post-resurrection appearances? Why didn't he just go right back up to heaven? Well, he wants to encourage the disciples. He's using them to encourage the disciples to strengthen their faith and to commission them and us for the mission he was giving them of making the disciples of all nations. Making disciples, great commission. And he told them in Matthew 28, verse 10, to leave Jerusalem. That's where Passover festival was. It's now done. And Jesus, after he rose again, he says, go up to Galilee, which is in northern Israel. You'll see a map on the screen. So there's Jerusalem on the bottom. This is the region of Galilee. That largest fresh water of body in the Middle East right there, that's the Sea of Galilee. All right? And this is where this is taking place. And Jesus sends his disciples there and says, I will meet you there. And now the disciples have left Jerusalem and they're in Galilee. And look what happens in verse 1 to 6. I just let this beautiful truth saturate your heart. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That is the Sea of Galilee. It's another name for it. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. I love this. He stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, calls out to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No, embarrassingly. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You see what happens here? While waiting for Jesus to come to them, seven of the disciples, did you count them? Seven of the disciples are together. And Peter, who's the leader of the disciples, he decides to go fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Now here's the scene right here. You'll see it. There it is. There's the Sea of Galilee. Mm. Looks beautiful, huh? 
It's even more beautiful in person. Lord willing, church. Lord willing. One day. Here's the thing. But on the sea, they're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There it is. And the other disciples, they decide to go with Peter. Now recall, they're like, why go fishing? Why is he going fishing? Recall, this was Peter and some of the other disciples' profession before leaving it to follow Jesus. They were professionals at it. They knew how to fish. It was their, their skill that they had mastered. And now while they're waiting for Jesus, Peter decides to go back to it. Some people have said, well, Peter's just feeling really rejected, so he's going back fishing. Others have said, well, they're waiting for Jesus and they still need to eat. All right? So they're like, we're not sure 100% why Peter went back, but he goes back fishing. And notice what happens in verse 3. They all get into a boat. They fish all night. All night. Everyone say, all night. night. And they catch... Nothing. Nothing. Now, let's be clear about something, what this fishing entails. Fishing, you'll see a picture. So here's how they fished in first century and around the world in many countries today. They still do this. They, they don't use little rods that you tie a lure on and away you go and let it sink. Then you go take a nap all night with your bobber. They don't do that. They're casting... They're letting the net sink, and they're hauling it back in. Repeat. Let's do this together. Right, kids? Ready? Cast. Sink. Haul. Repeat. Cast. Sink. Haul it in. Repeat. And they're doing this again and again and again all night. Now, why, why are they fishing at night? Why don't they just go during the day? Isn't it kind of nice weather and whether they get a good sleep? Because here's why. When you're casting with a net, you have to get the fish in the shallow water. And so at night, fish come to the surface. All right? And so they come to the surface. Well, there are another reason too. All right? Fish couldn't see the net at night. All right? So they wouldn't know to steer away from it. And the third reason was... Fish are a lot fresher brought to the market when they've just been caught. So here they are, fishing all night. And then you look at verse 4. Did you catch that? They get a visitor. They get a visitor at dawn. So here's dawn on the Sea of Galilee. Mm. There's dawn on the Sea of Galilee. You can see why they didn't recognize him. Right? It's just dark. They're out in the boat, and it's Jesus standing on the shore. And as we see right from the text, about 100 yards away. And they don't recognize him. But then in verse 5, you notice what Jesus does in verse 5? Jesus calls out to them, and he says, hey, children. Do you know what that term children means? It's actually, hey, boys. It means children in training. I love that. He goes, school's in session. It's training day. I love this. Oh, love the Savior and how much he loves us. He says, children, do you have any fish? Now, Jesus is sovereign, right? He knew they didn't have any fish. They didn't even get a minnow. 
And so they answer, and don't forget, they're not the only boat out on Galilee. It's packed with fishermen. It's the main industry up there. And so they answer no. And then in verse 6, notice what he does. He promptly instructs them to cast out their net again on the right or the other side of the boat. And he promises them, even with the light coming and the fish retreating, he promises them they'll get some. And the disciples listen to Jesus. They cast out the net and instantly it's filled with so many large fish they can't haul it in. How do you know this? 153 large ones, as we see later in the text. It's a miracle. Now, just live in the text, because if you're familiar with God's word, you've probably read that before. Don't let it just kind of breeze by you on this. Look at the magnitude. Live in the text. Here we go. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You're in the boat now. Everyone say, I'm in the boat. Okay, you're in the boat. You are a professional fisherman, okay? You're confident in your abilities and experience. We've done this for decades. Our family, was, we're from a heritage of fishermen. We know what to do. We know the exact times to go. We know the best equipment to use. We know the best spots on the lake. You've done all this for years, decades. This is your wheelhouse, and all night, you've done everything you knew to do. And yet, you fished all night and didn't catch a minnow. How would you be feeling when all the other boats are coming in too? And here comes your catch. It's a pretty light net. Would you be feeling frustrated? Have you ever tried to do something on your own strength before you pray about it and you're like, it's just not working? Yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah. Yeah, they're getting a little cranky. They've been up all night. How are you when you've been up all night? They're getting frustrated. Would you feel discouraged perhaps? But I've been trying so hard. Would you feel exhausted? How many are exhausted in this room today? And then all of a sudden, this guy shows up on the shore. This guy shows up, and he call, it's bad enough he calls you a child. He's like, hey, children. And he says, just cast the net on the other side. Have you done that? Just, just cast it over there, and I promise you'll get some fish. Like, this guy's the expert. I don't see him out in a boat, do you? Hey guys, you've tried all night. Why'd you just try the other side? Did you do that? How many, how many times do you think in that boat, it went through the line, we've done that? How many times? Yeah, we've done that. Who's this guy think he is? But nevertheless, you listen. You cast your empty net, and in a moment, watch this, kids, watch this. In a moment, it looks like this. Everyone say, that's a miracle. Because Jesus is awesome. In a moment, you've cast on that side of the boat before. You've done that many times. And then you listen to him, and it looks like this. 
Question, would you listen to Jesus? Would you depend on Jesus and cast the net? Even if it doesn't make sense, would you follow him? Or would you keep trying on your own strength to do what only he can do? School's in session. See that slide right there? Jesus, in a picture of his authority, sovereignty, and power, you notice this? He didn't allow him to catch a fish. He didn't allow him to catch all the fish. He's making, why? He's teaching them a lesson, teaching us a lesson today. He's making it abundantly clear to them that no matter how qualified they think they are, if they're going to follow him faithfully, they must humble themselves and depend on him entirely. If you and I are going to follow Jesus faithfully, we must humble ourselves and depend on him entirely. And here's right there. To follow, write this down. You have to go through it again and again and preach this beautiful truth to your flesh every day. To follow Jesus faithfully, you must depend on him entirely. You can try your own stuff. You're going to have an empty net every time. You're going to try to produce spiritual fruit that only he can produce and your net will be empty every time. Depending on his power, depending on his authority, depending on his sovereignty, depending on his grace, depending on his word, why? Because you can't follow Jesus in your own strength. What a freeing truth that is. That separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Right there, you cannot follow Jesus on your own strength. And so question, loved ones, who are you depending on? Are you depending on yourself? Are you depending on others? Are you depending on Jesus? Because we're all depending on someone. Who is that for you? And we have to realize that any effort to serve Jesus on our own strength will be just as effective as the disciples' fishing trip without listening to or relying on him. Empty nets every time. Why? Well, you look at this, John 15, he tells us so clearly right here. Jesus says in verse five, you'll see it on the screen. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus is reminding them of right here. Apart from me, there is no spiritual fruit that you can have. It's only by my power at work in you and through you. Now, the word abiding there means to remain in a fixed position. That's what abiding means, to remain in a fixed position on Jesus. Who are you depending on? Why is this so important? Why is this so important? You'll see it on the screen. You say, how do I know who I'm depending on? Who you are depending on is revealed through who you are abiding in. There it is. Who you and I are depending on is revealed through who we are abiding in the most. Remaining in that fixed position. Let's break this down. I pray this would be so helpful. What this means is this. If we are depending on ourselves, if we're depending on alcohol, if we're depending on other people, if guess what that means? We're staying in a fixed position on or remaining in, ready? Your thoughts, your desires, your ways, your wants, your abilities. You're abiding in yourself. My preferences, my ways, my control, 
who you're depending on is revealed through who you're abiding in. But if, you're de- if you are abiding in Christ, listen, loved ones, there's a fixed position or remaining in his word. We remain in his word. We cling to it. We memorize it. We make time for it every single day. And yes, I'm saying every single day. It's not like you say, well, I'll depend on Jesus on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, but on Tuesday, thir- or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but Tuesday, Thursday's all me. It, it doesn't work like that. It's abiding in his word every day. And, and let's clear up another misconception. It's not like, okay, I'll give the first five minutes of my day to Jesus and then I'm on my own. No, abiding means we remain in a fixed position of his word on our heart and in our mind, in those meetings that we go into. We should be memorizing scripture, loved ones, to have it ready. How does a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119 says, by guarding it according to your word when we're with our spouses, when we're bringing up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord, having God's word ready on your lips from having it in your hand and in your heart. But also, listen, loved ones, where where Psalm 119 says, the word of God is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. What that means is the word of God is the only safe path through this world. That's it. In a world of darkness, the word of God is the only path of light. And the call is to abide in it. And and that is shown by who we're depending on. How are you clinging to God's word? Is it an afterthought after you've exhausted your options? Or is it your first response? We cling to it, but we also remain from the overflow of this. We also remain in prayer to God throughout the day. How's our prayer lives, loved ones? We're not trying to earn favor with God, but we have the privilege to approach God if we are saved in him with confidence. If we're depending on Christ, we are calling out to Christ. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on him. Prayerlessness is the declaration of independence saying, I got this, God. Prayer says, Lord, I need you. Prayerlessness says, Lord, I got it. The disciples thought they had it. Do you? Abiding in Christ means we are clinging to his word. We're remaining in prayer. And here it is in a fixed position of obedience. Humble ourselves, submit to God's word by faith in his power, on his promises. And when we sin, and yes, we will sin, we are not perfect on this side of eternity. But when we do, how do you know you're truly following Jesus? You are quick to repent. Repentance isn't just an option for you. It's a necessity. Get it right with him. And can, can I just encourage you from our text today? Just look at what Jesus does here. You say, I'm struggling. I'm trying. I'm trying to beat this sin on my own. I'm trying to do all this. Listen, I just want to encourage you. Jesus can do more in five seconds. You see that in the text? Jesus can do more in five seconds than you and I can in five hours, five days, five weeks, five decades of trying on our own effort to serve him. Loved ones, who are you depending on? A life surrendered to Jesus depends on him in humility. And from the overflow of this, we see this, verses 7 to 8. A life surrendered to Jesus values him as priority. If we depend on him in humility, we are valuing him as priority. Because we can do nothing apart from him. 
See this, the life surrendered to Jesus has him as the priority. Do you? Do I? The life surrendered to Jesus has him as the priority. Do you? See, having Christ as our greatest priority is one of the clearest indicators that you and I are depending on him. Because we're like, I have to get to Jesus every day. He's the priority at all times, all things. Watch this, watch this, verse seven and eight. Go back to the text. So beautiful. Kids, read along. Let's go. That disciple whom Jesus loved, they just see this miraculous catch of fish. Therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Notice the exclamation mark. It's not like, oh yeah, there's the Lord, there's Jesus. He's like, it is the Lord. Let's read the text as it is intended to be read. It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter hears this, bam, snaps to attention, sees that guy on the shore, watch what happens. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came low, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. See, upon seeing the miraculous catch of fish, John, who is the disciple whom Jesus loved, cries out, it is the Lord, it is Jesus. And notice, 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 notice. That's all Peter needs. That's all Peter needs. There's Jesus. Immediately, what does Peter do? He puts on his outer garment. It was very common, don't be grossed out, it was just very common for fishermen back then to, to fish naked or in their undergarments. And so he puts on his outer garment and notice, what it, notice the text, look at the words of the text. He throws himself into the sea to get to Jesus. Now the word through himself there is the same word as cast in verse six. See what happens? Before Peter's casting a net, now Peter's casting himself. Oh, awesome. I love God's word. He's just like, there's Jesus. Jumping in the water, doggy paddling all his way over to Jesus. I have to get to Jesus. See, instead of Peter casting the net, he hears it's his Lord and he throws himself into the water to get to Jesus to be at his feet. He throws himself to be at the feet of Jesus while the other disciples drag the net to the shore. Okay, live in the text. Here we go. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Watch this. You have just hauled up Think about that. Hey, hey, can you put those fish slides back up, please? Thanks, team. Okay, you have just hauled up one of, look at that picture, one of, if not the biggest catch you ever have. Do you know what that catch of fish symbolizes for a Galilee fisherman? Here it is, ready? Cha-ching. Big time. Cha-ching. Just look. It's one of your biggest paydays. It's the greatest value to you in the world's eyes. It's the catch that will make you wealthy and boost your reputation in the eyes of your community. See, it is your ticket to success in this world. I mean, think about this. If you're in the boat there, wouldn't you just, wouldn't your flesh just be like, you just, there's part of you that would want to just Drag that catch in real slow past all those other boats. Hmm. Yeah, you're hauling it, and everybody's looking. And you're like, mm hmm. 
All glory to Jesus, though. All glory to Jesus, but you're taking a real long time. Right? Here's the reality, though. Hey, hey, you would just want to strut your stuff so that everyone can do it. Hey, question, here's what we need to face. Let's get real. How often do you you and I take credit for what only Jesus did? How often do you and I want to strut the net? We had nothing to do with the fruit. And maybe we'll not say that with our lips, like, look at me, but our lives are sure saying it. What does Peter do with the catch, though? Did you get it from the text? Go right back to the text. What does Peter do with it? As soon as he hears from John, it is the Lord. Forget the catch. What does he do? He leaves it behind to get to Jesus. Peter's so aware at that moment right now that he did nothing to bring that catch in, and he wanted to get to the only one who he knew did. He wants, he does not say this. How many of us are saying this today? We get the big payday. We have the, the possessions that come. We're like, listen, Jesus, let me get my share first and then I'll come over to you. Let me count out how many fish are mine. Let me count out what I can sell this for first. I'll take it to market and I'll get my money to make sure, you know, my wife gets, take her to a nice dinner and then I'll totally follow you. Peter's not counting fish. He's not counting coins. What's he doing? He's not saying, I just have something more important to do. I want to count the fish, make sure I get my cut, my portion out of this deal. Or here's what Peter's not saying. Do you know what's from the text? Peter's not saying, "Uh, I won't jump in because, man, what will everyone else think? Oh, the boat's around me. The fear of man, what will everyone else think? My reputation, that guy's crazy. Peter's not thinking like that. He hears it's the Lord. And in the face of his biggest payday, the biggest reputational increase he's probably ever had, his love for and the value of his Savior completely trumps the value of anything in this world. His reputation, his profession, his status, his lifestyle. Why? Because Jesus was of greatest worth to him. He says, Jesus, thank you for your provision, but it's not my main thing. Your presence is. What are you saying? When that net comes up out of the wall, what are you saying? Who's your greatest priority? Greatest value? He says, take the world, but give me Jesus. Greatest love, greatest delight, greatest worth, and I will follow him anything throws himself in off the boat. The delight he knew was only found in Jesus. The joy he knew was only found in Jesus, not in a fish. And here's what we need to remember from Peter's example right here. You'll see it on the screen. To follow Jesus, the more you savor Jesus, listen, the more you surrender to Jesus. 
The more you savor Jesus, the more you surrender to Jesus. When's the, hey, hey, loved ones, this is on our small group questions this week. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you just took time to delight in the Lord? Not coming before him, asking him, forgive me this and this and this. Yes, he loves to give good gifts to his children according to his word and his will and his way. But when's the last time you just got before Jesus and said, Lord, help me to delight in you, to savor you? Because the more we savor him, the more we surrender to him. It's not a transaction anymore. This is why John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, if you savor me, you will obey my commandments. The life surrendered to Jesus has him as the priority. Question, Hope Ottawa, right here. Hey, kids, the life surrendered to Jesus has him as priority. Eyes up here, kids. Do you have Jesus as your priority? Do you have Jesus as your priority when you're going to school? When you're in your classroom, when you're on the playground and all those other kids are saying those bad things, those sinful things about your classmates and and you just want to kind of join in to protect your reputation? You sure about that? See, right here on the screen, whatever has your greatest love will have your greatest surrender. Right there. If I love my children as my main priority, and I love my kids, I love every kid in this church passionately, but here's the reality. If my kids or my wife is my main priority above Jesus, I'm not following him when it causes me to need to follow them and what they want as greater priority. No, no, no. Well, the greatest thing my wife and my kids need from me is to passionately be more in love with Jesus every day. To follow him. It's not my job. It's not, it's not, it's not a reputation or a money or possessions. It's like I'm giving it all away to get more of him. He's my greatest value. Question, loved ones, is Jesus your greatest treasure? Is he greatest love? And the, and the reality for me and the reality for you is just quite simply this. Often he's not, is he? As much as we hate to admit it, we'd stay in the boat to count the fish first most of the time. And we wouldn't jump in because we would fear what other people would think. Anyone struggle with a fear man this week? Our reputation would trump his. So what are you placing of greater value than him? and that is keeping you from savoring him and increasingly surrendering to him. You say, well, how do, you, how do I know? How do I know? I want this to be so helpful, Hope. Here it is. How do I know? Well, let me just ask yourself the question. What are you unwilling to give up or lay down on the altar of sacrifice to get more of him? What are you unwilling to lay down? Well, I'll follow Jesus as long as I can keep my job. Jobs are good things. Well, I'll follow Jesus as long as I can keep my rep. I'll follow Jesus as long as the pay cut isn't too steep. What, what is that? What are you unwilling to lay down? Uh, the, the addictions that we can so easily 
you know, struggle with if we're not bringing them before the Lord and repenting of sin. We can just go into these and choose them again. Well, I'll follow Jesus as long as I can keep doing what? You see, how about this? Here's some things to help you think. Your job, your reputation, your family, your health, your wealth, your status, your comfort, your preferences, your control, your grades, your entertainment, your sin, whatever. A love for sin is only overcome by a superior pleasure in Jesus. That's it. So what are the next steps? I want this to be so helpful. What are the next steps? Take that before him. Say, God, the thought of losing this my kids, my wife, my job, whatever. Here it is. Take it before him and cry out, Jesus, help me to love you more than this. Help me to love you more than this. I surrender that to you. Help me to want to want you more. That's where it all starts. And loved ones, don't wait on this. Don't wait. Say, well, I'll get around to it later. Don't wait. Hear the word of the Lord right now. He is worth it. He is worth it. A life surrendered to Jesus depends on him in humility, values him as priority. And as we close out, we close with this. The life surrendered to Jesus trusts in him confidently. Trusts in him confidently. Jesus will provide all you need to follow him. This is why if we trust in Jesus, we're willing to count the cost because we know he's going to provide all we need to follow him. That's what Peter's getting here. What we need to understand, will you trust in him? Look at 9 to 14 as we finish out. When they got out on the land, they hauled the fish in. They saw a charcoal fire in place. We'll talk more about that charcoal fire next week. With fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. (laughs) I love that. Just come and eat. Now, none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. See, when the disciples reach the shore, they meet up with Jesus, and they see he's got breakfast ready for them. I love that. He's got breakfast right there. He's cooking over a charcoal fire. It looks like this. Oh, by the way, this picture here, that's called St. Peter's Church right there. That's in the Sea of Galilee today, and that's at the spot they believe that this is going on in, okay? This event right here. That's called St. Peter's Church. You can tour there, sat there, worship the Lord right there. And, but here's the thing. They got that charcoal fire going, okay? On the beach. That's the Sea of Galilee. They're having breakfast around this fire. Now notice something. Jesus invites them. He's got fish and bread cooking. But notice what he does. What does he do from the text? He invites them to bring some of their fish as well. What's up with that? See, Jesus didn't need it. He made breakfast. He didn't need their fish, but he invited them to join in. Hey, loved ones, here's a lesson from this. Jesus doesn't need our efforts, but he gives us the undeserved privilege to use them for his glory. Jesus doesn't need your effort or mine, but he gives us the undeserved privilege of serving him for his glory, and it is undeserved. Whether in the church, on a ministry team, in your workplace, 
wherever it is. He doesn't need it, but he gives us the privilege to see it used. And so Peter gets the net, he hauls it ashore. There's the details, 153 large fish. Now notice in verse 12, did you catch this? The disciples were hesitant. They're all, they're all hesitant. They're like, what on earth? What is going on here? Reluctant, uncertain in approaching Jesus. It said, no one dared ask them, who are you? Like, they're, they're, no one dared to. They're like, okay, we're just not going to cross that line. But they had every reason, notice, they had every reason to come confidently towards Jesus. And Jesus knows this, and notice what he does. He reassures them, overcomes their doubts, and he starts serving them the breakfast. He come and have breakfast. You don't have to be uncertain. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be feeling tense. He starts serving them the breakfast he provided for them. See, Jesus knew, notice this, Jesus knew they'd be tired, weak and hungry from being out on the water all night. And what does he do? He meets their need. Jesus knows you're feeling weary right now. Jesus knows you're feeling tired. He knows you're feeling worn out. He knows you're feeling in despair. And he says, come and sit with me and I will give you what you need. Will you trust in him confidently? See, Jesus, in his sovereignty and power, he knows what you need. And the truth for every Christian is this. He will meet that need. You do not have to fear. Did you notice here in the text? The disciples didn't have to come on shore. They dragged the fish and Jesus said, so guys, what do you need? He knew it. He already had it cooking. Jesus already has something cooking for you. The question is, will you trust him? Will you approach him? Or will you try all these other avenues? See it on the screen. The life surrendered to Jesus, take this to the bank, will always have the provision of Jesus. The life that is increasingly surrendered to Jesus will always have the provision of Jesus. And here, let's make this very clear. We're not talking about some prosperity, health, and wealth deal here, okay? That is a heresy that is sinful. But what we're talking about, what we see from the text is it may not look like what you think you need. It may not look like what you want. It may not look like what you even desire, but you will have it all the time, every time, for every need need as you surrender to him. Philippians 4.19 makes this so clear. You'll see this right here. Watch this. And my God, Paul says, will supply, read it together, every need. Yes, every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours. Not every so-called want or desire. Every need that you have to follow him, God will supply. And we may say, well, what if I follow him and I have to take a pay cut? What about my health benefits? What about my family? What about, what about if we have to leave our house and... What if you have to go back to it? My God will supply every need of yours to follow him. Jesus will provide all you need to follow him, but will you trust him? 
And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, i got great news for you today. Jesus has provided all you need to follow him. You know what that was? Himself. Jesus will provide all you need to follow him. That is himself. How? By coming to earth as fully God and fully man and living a perfect life for 33 years, not sinning once and being crucified on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, which is death and separation from him in hell. And he died and rose again three days later and he offers forgiveness for your sin right now and eternal life with him in the presence of God. And apart from him is only eternal destruction in hell. And he offers new life to all who surrender to him and confess him as Lord. I love this. This fits this text so perfectly. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, God giving you what you don't deserve, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's not your works. Why? Because it's impossible to follow Jesus on your own strength. It is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And today, you hear his voice. You do not harden your heart. Let today be the day of your salvation. And brothers and sisters in Christ, here's our, here's our application. Here's our challenge. Will you trust confidently in Jesus, he will meet your need, every need to follow him. No matter what he calls you to give up, no matter what the cost is, you may think it's too high, Jesus will meet the need. What need is in front of you right now that you need to lay before him right now? Hands open, lay before him and say, Lord, you know the need and you will provide in your time and your way, increase my faith, help my unbelief that I may live even right now in your peace and your joy and your confidence in faith that I have through my new life in you. Because to follow Jesus faithfully, you must surrender to him increasingly. Depending on him in humility, valuing him as priority and trusting in him confidently. And loved ones, can I just say, as we close out here, I know it's hard to do. I'm not standing up before you right now saying, yeah, I totally got this figured out. Just like, follow me. It's all good. It's hard sometimes. I'm there with you. And we won't be perfect at this. But be encouraged. He has given us all that we need for this by his power at work in us. And the only remaining question is not, will he be faithful? It's, will you follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this beautiful text. Thank you that the same lesson you're teaching the disciples here, you're teaching us again and again today. Lord, I pray right now for Hope Bible Church Ottawa and churches all across this city that we would increasingly say, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back and humbling ourselves in dependence on you, valuing you as our greatest priority, our greatest love, and trusting in you confidently that when you call us to something, you've already known what the need is there and you will meet it. You've got something cooking. And so, Lord, would you please 
Fill us with great faith as we respond now with this declaration. I pray it would not just be words on a screen, but a declaration of the heart. And so Jesus, empower our praise right now. In your name we pray, amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond?